Amen. All right. Go ahead and go to Acts chapter 14 tonight. Acts chapter 14. We'll be halfway through the book of Acts after tonight. And I have gotten, I've gotten a lot from studying this book. I hope you all are getting a lot from hearing me preach it. Uh, I was telling Brother Sean before service, uh, preaching through books helps me out so much. Every book I preach through just gives me a better, fuller understanding of all the Bible. And I just I get so much out of it every single time. And I, I absolutely love doing it. And so I'm just hoping other people are being blessed because I know I'm being blessed studying for these things. And so uh, we're going to look at some things tonight that are um, have got me studying... Uh, we're going to kind of briefly touch on some things tonight that have got me studying some other things about the Bible and about church that uh, is stuff that you know you kind of I've I've always understood and kind of believed, but I'm not taught much on. And a lot of these things just aren't taught much in church. When and um, I'm really I'm thinking Sunday night to I might be starting a series, kind of covering a lot of these important things just about church authority. And exactly what a church is and, and the role you all play in a church. I think there's a lot of misunderstandings about that. That when you have a fuller understanding of exactly what this is, this isn't just a group of, uh, we're not just a group of different people all coming together, even though we are a group of people all coming together. We actually have a function in the kingdom of God. We serve a purpose and what we do means something. What we do matters. Probably more than you realize. And every one of you, you are a part of this body. God has placed you in this church and he wants to use you. And I, you know, and I think a lot of times people, they take a lot of things for granted because they don't realize how important they are and how important their part is that they play in a church. And you know, probably a lot of that's because the pastor's not doing a good job teaching it. But um, what we do here is very important. It is vital. And I've, I've, one thing we're seeing is churches, more and more churches are closing their doors. More and more churches are just getting lame, turning into social clubs, doing just pretty much nothing. And I think a lot of it is because we have forgotten what our mission is as a church and people are not doing things properly. And a lot of times it's just because they don't know. They don't know what they're supposed to do. So I'm really hoping to cover a lot of important things uh, over the next weeks. We'll kind of, we'll kind of see how it goes. I haven't really figured out how I'm going to lay it all out. I'm kind of in the process of working on that, but we're going to touch on some of these things tonight. But so just a little reminder though, in chapter 13, we saw how Paul and Barnabas, they were sent out on this missionary journey. The church in Antioch laid hands on them and the church in Antioch sent them out. I believe in church authority. I believe in churches starting churches and you know churches sending out pastors missionaries evangelists i believe very strongly in that and i think there's a really good reason for it we got more and more people today thinking it's just okay for any joe blow who feels like it to thinks just because he's saved that he's qualified to just go and start a church and i'm telling you that is not right and boy the more you study this too and you see how god set things up in the bible and even the warnings that it gave you know what? Everybody that does it wrong, you know what they are? They're always proof of the Bible. Every single time. And it's like, this is why we should follow this process. This is why this type of thing matters. And so Paul and Barnabas, these guys, they were sent out as missionaries. 
And in many of you in your Bibles, you may have something uh, in there that has Paul's missionary journeys in the maps. A lot of times those are in there. And in chapter 13 and chapter 14, basically the places we see the, the Apostle Paul going, this is known as Paul's first missionary journey. He started it in chapter 13 and he's going to end it here in chapter 14. You're going to see the different places mentioned. And uh, if you have that map in the back of your Bible, I, I understand maps are not inspired, but might just kind of give you a little idea and a visual of what, where he was going and what all he was doing. But one thing we need to understand is when they would go to these cities, to, the goal was to preach the gospel to the entire city. That's what they wanted to do. And they would always start in very public places and they would specifically always start in the synagogues. And of course they would, we talked about that. The Jews were reading the Old Testament every week and they were looking for the Messiah. So of course they are going to go straight to the synagogue on the Sabbath when all the Jews are meeting there. But we're going to see in this story, even when they went and they preached to all the Jews that uh, the Gentiles heard you know, what had been preached and they wanted to hear about it. They want to know more. We're going to see that in a little bit. And it's important that, you know, when we look at the book of Acts, we should try to pattern our methods off of what they did. That's the right thing to do, to try to pattern our methods. But we do need to understand some things are different today, you know, and some of the things that we're up against are a disadvantage. We have some disadvantages today, but, you know, we also have some advantages, too. And we're going to see that as, as we go through some of this. And the first thing we see in these stories, something that was different back then, it was very easy for them to get the entire city's attention. The way things worked back then, the way the culture was, people were a lot more connected. Where today, we're connected, but how are we connected? Social media. But the thing is, too, you know, we all kind of maybe belong to different communities and social media. But, you know, they didn't have that stuff back then, you know, and, but as a, you know, when it comes to our neighborhoods, we're not connected at all, are we? I mean, how many of you don't even know the names of your neighbors? Okay. I mean, a lot of times we don't even know the people live right next door to us. The people live right across the street from us. That's just, kind of, that's kind of how we are. If you're like me, you try to move as far away from people as you can. You know, that's, uh, that's kind of, that's kind of how I am. Uh, so we're not connected as a people. And, you know, so the thing is, if you want to come into a town and get everyone's attention and get the gospel to everyone, it's going to be very challenging to get that done quickly. It's going to be it's going to be very hard to do that. And so but back then it was it was a little easier. So one of the, the advantages that they had is communities. They were a lot closer to each other back in those days. Typically, they're probably mostly related, you know, to a certain extent. Uh, you know, they weren't all hid away in their houses in the evenings and things, whenever they're done with their work for the day, they're not vegging in front of the television. You know, they're probably, you know, hanging out with the neighbors, eating meals together, actually socializing, being around real life human beings. We don't really do much of that today because we've got entertainment. And so it was also very common for an entire town to be gathered in one place, making it a lot easier to reach everyone. So that was an advantage they had back then. But here's the disadvantage that they had back then. The disadvantage was it was also easier for wicked people to have control over the hearts and minds of everyone in the city, making it harder to get individuals to listen. 
And this is why things usually ended violently for them. Now, I don't know for sure when I'm going to do this. I, we might be doing this uh, possibly on Friday. Pastor Randall was here Sunday night, and it was really interesting. He's, they, they just had a big soul-winning thing they did in St. Mary's, Kansas, which I never even heard of this, didn't even know about this. But that entire town is like a very specific, hardcore, uh, orthodox brand of Catholic in that town. And he was telling me all about how everything works. They're very conservative. The women all wear skirts. The, they're, you know, they're major no birth control. Tons of big families in the towns. I mean, they are hardcore militant Catholics. And they don't like all the liberalism that's going on in the Catholic Church and stuff. And so it's kind of interesting. I'm not going to go into how all that group was. But they decided they were going to go witness to that town. And what's interesting, so Pastor Randall, he's been preaching messages. And I forgot how, but somehow... Word got to the priests in that town that they were coming. And you know what? The priests warned the people in town that they were coming. And as they went to that town, everybody was ready for them. Everybody knew they were coming. And, and I, he was telling me about how everything went down. I was like, you know, what you guys got going on right there, that sounds an awful lot like a Book of, book of Acts type situation. Where, I mean, they did. They got the whole town's attention and so because they told him out, because they've been going knocking doors there, a lot of the people, too, have been listening to his sermons he's been preaching against, been arguing with them. And these, these Catholics aren't like the ones around here. They know their stuff. I mean, these ones are ready to argue. But I forgot how many weeks they spent there knocking these doors. And you know what? He said they didn't get anyone saved knocking on the door. You know, and, and one of the reasons is because the priests, they got a stronghold in that town like, you wouldn't believe. I mean, it's like pretty much a 100% Catholic town. But you know what? I told, when he, I, I told him, I said, you know what, though? I don't think God's done in that town. He's like, you've got, you've got, you literally got the attention of that whole town. You've got people that are listening to your preaching on this. I think you're going to get some, I think some people are going to get saved out of this. And so we're planning on doing a live stream, kind of talking about everything going on. And we're, we're hoping the people in that town watch it because they're watching the stuff. They're paying attention to it. And I, I think that's pretty cool that they went and got the attention of the whole town. You know, today we go and we do small town souling all the time, but everyone's so disconnected. A lot of times, most of the doors don't even get answered. You know, how do you get the attention of an entire town today? It's really, really difficult to do that. And so, you know, the way, you know, way we typically have to get attention, you do, you just got to go door to door to door and hope people are home. And it, it, it's a lot of work. It takes a long time. So they had an advantage. It was easier to kind of get everybody at once. But the disadvantage was you had, you know, individuals who kind of had control over everything, kind of like in St. Mary's. So they got everyone's attention, but those priests have everyone right under their thumb. And, I, and that's, that's sad. So today, though, we got to do a lot more footwork for sure to reach an entire town. But we also have much less opposition. When, you know, when we do things the way we do today, you know, we're not being persecuted as we go out. We don't have. So the thing is, because because of that, you know, individuals are actually free to listen to us. You know, you go get somebody saved in that town. And you get them going to a Baptist church. They might lose their job. They're going to lose all their friends. I mean, it's going to be difficult for them where we're so disconnected today. I mean, the best thing that can happen to you is to get saved and get plugged into a Baptist church like this, and you're just you're going to get a whole bunch of new friends and family, just like that. 
So that's another advantage. You know, there's always advantages and disadvantages. But I do believe we should try to do public things to get everyone's attention. And, you know, if, if we can find a way to get everybody's attention all at once. And a lot of churches are trying to do this. But you know what? Whenever we do try to do this, we find out we're often up against the same thing that the apostles were. And, you know, we've gotten the town's attention a few times, usually negative. Um, we did get the, the town's attention when, before we started the church when the newspaper actually did an article, front-page story about our church. And that was a huge blessing, and that helped us get a lot of people on our first Sunday, too. I mean, that, that was a huge, huge blessing. But, again, I say all this to just say every situation, every town, every place has its advantages and disadvantages. It's never an easy thing. It's always a challenge. There's always going to be an opposition. And let's go ahead and start, as we start going through this, let's see some of the things that they were up against during that time. It says in verse 1, And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews, and so spake that a great multitude both of Jews and also of the Greeks believed. So the gospel always got good results whenever they would go to these towns. Anywhere you go, if you get to preach the gospel, you know, and people are hearing it, you're probably going to get some people saved. And whenever they would preach the gospel, people would get saved. But whenever that would happen, we're, all, we, we're going to keep seeing this throughout the book of Acts. There was a very specific group of people that would always do what they could to cancel the message of the apostles. And we're going to talk about some first century cancel culture. And let me tell you, cancel culture, it is, it is alive and well in our country today. And we all know who's running it. We all know who's pushing it. Same people's in the first century. Now, you can call me whatever you want for saying that, but you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to speak the truth. Okay? The Anti-Defamation League has always been around. They were around back then, and some people are so scared of them that if somebody told them it was anti-Semitic to say the sky was blue, they wouldn't say the sky was blue anymore. But you know, there's just some things we can't avoid. And so the gospel on the Internet and on television, that has an impact. But you know what? The synagogue of Satan has never stood idly by while that takes place. You know, and, and look at all the people that are on TV now. The people that are all on TV now just happen to be guys like, oh, John Hagee, the most Zionist preacher that has ever walked the face of the earth. I mean, that, you know, those are the people that get on TV and then just the nut job, tongue-talking lunatics to make the rest of us look crazy. But... Said, so, you know, now and then the, you know, the internet comes along. A major impact has been made, you know, because of the gospel being on the internet. But what are they doing now? They're doing everything they can to cancel that. Doing everything they can to get rid of that every time. So verse two says, "But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren." And now, what method did they use to stir them up back then? The Bible doesn't say. Exactly. But I don't know. Okay? I, I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just thinking right here. I know this isn't what they did. But you know what? Maybe they portrayed them as bad people just out to get money or as hypocrites and things like that on the movies that they made. Isn't that what Christians are on the movies all the time? So they didn't have movies back then. I'm sure they had some kind of entertainment. 
You know, and they, they did. They just made them, they made them, they always portrayed them bad. The Christians are always the weirdos. The Christians are always the judgmental people. They're always the ones holding up progress. They're all, you know, the preachers are all just a bunch of scumbags. They've all got scandals. They're all committing adultery. They're all stealing the money. That's the way it always is on movies. And yes, that kind of thing happens. But you know what? It's a low percentage. And everybody ignores the guys that are doing it all right. But you know, if you watch Hollywood, if you listen to the Jews, you think everybody's doing it. But we see maybe they didn't news reports about them twisting their words, playing clips out of context. I don't know. You say they wouldn't have done that back then. Well, they're doing it now. It says they made their minds evil affected toward them. Right, and, and, and look how they just stir, they stirred up the Gentiles. It's always them poor saps. They, you know, they never want to do the dirty work themselves. They go to the Gentiles. They go to the heathen. They go to you know, the, the people who don't have a lot of morals, who don't have a lot of character, and they get them all riled up. They get them all stirred up. That's what we see. Later, they get worse. They get the certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. They went and they got the homos rounded up, or riled up. You, know, you hear what these homophobes said about you? We'll get, we'll get to chapter 17. But uh, you know, maybe they printed misleading stories about them in newspapers. I know they didn't have newspapers back then. I don't know what their methods were for getting news out. But you know what the Bible says? The Jews made people's minds evil affected towards them. And look at, I mean, folks, I hate to talk about myself, but listen, I am a nice person. I hate to talk about our church, but we are a very nice, friendly church. There's, there's no doubt about it. We are very friendly people. But yet, to listen to the internet, to, to look at the, you know, I've got, I'm on the Anti-Defamation League. they got a thing about me. And it's like, these people, they make me sound like such a horrible person. I'm on reallifevillains.com. And it's just like, really, I don't, I don't even have any, I have no criminal record. No criminal record, but I'm on reallifevillains.com or whatever. You know, I, I'm in the, I'm, my name's in the Urban Dictionary that's online. You can, you can look me up on the Urban Dictionary. And you know what my main thing it talks about? I'm a deeply homophobic person. And you know what? That's true, but that is not my most notable characteristic. All right? That's just, that is just, you know, there's, there's a lot more to me than that. A lot more. There's so much more to me than that. I mean, I, but you know, that's what I get credited for, and that, and apparently, that makes me look bad. You know, and I, I don't think it does, but you know, maybe they call these people things like you know, racist, sexist, bigot, homophobe, all that kind of stuff. They're calling them all these names. But you know what? There was nothing wrong with these guys. There was nothing wrong with Paul and Barnabas. But the Jews made them look like they were terrible people. Why? Because they didn't want them being able to speak. So verse 3, Long time therefore abode they speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of His grace, and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So how long was a long time here? I don't know. It's hard to say. The Bible doesn't give details. But they clearly didn't get all these things done overnight, even in that culture where everybody's listening to them. They were around long enough, though, to prove themselves and to definitely make a difference, but they also were not there long enough, and keep this in mind, to actually get a church established. We're going to see them get run out of town before they actually got a church established. But it didn't change the fact that they got some things done there that was going to survive and last and make a difference. So verse 4 says, 
But the multitude of the city was divided, and part held with the Jews, and part with the apostles. And this reminds me of Jesus' statement that He made to the disciples, that I came not to send peace, but a sword. And the Gospel will always have opposition. And this is why, this, this, this is why too, this new method that people are doing of let's just all be a part of the community. Let's just build community. Let's just go hand out bottles of water and you know wear pink non-threatening t-shirts and you know just be all nice and friendly and everybody will come to our church that way. No, you know what people need to do? They need to go shake things up. They need to go stir things up a little bit. I'm not telling you to be obnoxious and you know be an idiot. I'm not I'm not saying that, but you know the thing is if you actually start getting something done, negative things are going to get said about you. And some of these guys, they're so scared of some kind of negative press that you know what they end up doing? Nothing. They don't make any kind of difference at all because they don't want bad things being said about them. But listen, nobody, the Jews are not going to say anything bad about you if you don't make a difference. You want to get rid of, opposi- you want to get rid of criticism and opposition? Just don't do anything. And they'll leave you alone. But... We've been called to do something. And we were warned that we would have persecution. So, you know, don't feel bad and don't be ashamed of it. So verse 5. And when there was an assault made, both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews, with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them, that they were aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Laconia, and under the region that lieth round about. And there they preached the gospel. And this is another reminder, it's okay to try to save your life. You know, if you know, if you know they're going to kill you, and they did, they had to run off, they had to leave before they can kind of finish getting things established in that area. But don't worry, they're, they're going to go back. And so even though many were saved, so they, they didn't throw away their lives just trying to stay in a city that overall was refusing them. They, did, they didn't do that. And so just a few things to think about. Again, you know, were they here long enough to be able to leave any kind of leadership behind? Because the Bible doesn't say how long they were there, but the truth is, what they got set up and established, at this point, we know they didn't finish what they needed to do. So what all was going on after they left, I don't know. You know, an actual church has not been fully established yet. But at the same time, it didn't change the fact that, you know, the people got saved. The people that got saved got saved and were going to heaven. But folks, part of being a church, we're not just trying to get people saved. That is not, our job as a church is not just to get people saved. That is the first part of our job. That is a necessary part of our job. But we are also supposed to baptize them. We're supposed to teach them to observe all things. We are supposed to try to prepare people and equip people to also be fruit-bearing Christians because we want the work that we do to last. And this is what we're talking about Sunday night. And the thing is, if we, if we do not take the time to you know, get people trained and to teach people doctrine and all these things, eventually what we do will cease to exist and it will go away. And we want what we do, we want our work to last. And so while they were there, they got people saved, but they weren't there long enough to get something done that would actually keep going. And that's what we all want to do. We want something that's going to keep going. And I'm telling you, one of the reasons we're dying in this country, one of the reasons Baptist churches are dying, I believe, uh, across America and across the world, 
is they've just had a very fatalist attitude for a long time. They've just kind of had this attitude, well, it's all going to be going to the Antichrist anyway, but, you know, thank God we're going to get raptured out before it gets too bad anyway. So, you know, the fact that everybody's apostatizing and everything's going bad, that's uh, just a sign of the times instead of a sign that we need to get right with God. And that's what it, that's what it should be a sign of. And so people are just, they're content to just let things fall apart. That's a horrible attitude. I'm glad they didn't have that attitude a hundred years ago. You know, I'm, you know, uh, that was before Israel became a nation. And, you know, l listen, don't get me, no, don't get me going on that. That's, that's one of the dumbest things. We, folks, we still need to have the same attitude of trying to build something that will last. That's so important. We're going to be talking about that. So we're going to see though, so while they didn't get these churches established, these people didn't forget them. So verse 8, says, And there sat a certain man at Lystra, because they're at a new town now, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, and said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voice, saying in the speech of Laconia, The gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. Now, this was a great way to get everyone's attention. Let's go heal a guy. And sure enough, it worked. They healed this guy. News gets out in town. Everybody gets excited. The problem is, everybody thought they were gods. That's not exactly what they were looking for. These people were clearly just so backward in their beliefs and their thinking that they thought it was possible that these men could be gods. And they wanted to make sacrifices to them. That's not right. That was not the correct response. These people are a bunch of Gentiles. They don't know any better. And so in verse 12, and they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Jupiter, which was before the city, brought oxen and garlands under the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. Now, if Paul and Barnabas were being trendies and trying to impress the community with themselves like the trendies do, then you'd say mission accomplished. But you know what? Listen, that's not what they did. It says when the apostles, Paul, Barnabas and Paul, heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out. They rent their clothes. You know why? That was a sign of humility. They were humbling themselves. Why? Because they didn't want these people thinking they were gods and they were not going to accept that praise. They were not going to accept that. I think they learned from Herod, who we saw a couple chapters ago, when they said it's the voice of a god and not of a man, and then he got eaten of worms. And so Paul and Barnabas are like, you know, God's not a respecter of person. We accept this praise. We're going to get eaten of worms. And you know what? That freak, probably freaked them out. And so you know what they did? They rent their clothes and they cried out, don't do this. And that was exactly what they should have done. And you know, let me tell you, there's been a lot of preachers over the years that have accepted too much worship from people. You've got to watch out for that kind of thing. Man is just naturally idolatrous. Man just, they, they, they'll go crazy with that stuff. And you know what? Sometimes you got to rebuke people. I've never had that problem, but at the same time, uh, you know, some people, some people were awesome enough that you know they had people that you know want to worship them and all that. You can't accept that because let me tell you, if you don't humble yourself, God will do it for you, and you don't want that to happen. You never want that to happen. So verse fifteen and sayings, sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you. And preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in time past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. 
So Paul is letting them know, hey, this is, this is, what you guys are doing is what we preach against. We aren't for this kind of thing. This is wrong. There's no reason for this. And then he goes on and he says, God in time past suffered or allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. You know, you know what he's saying here? He's saying something very similar to what I believe he said in Mars Hill, or what he's going to say on Mars Hill later. When, when they were an idolatrous people. And he said, at the time of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Why is that? You know why? Because of the fact... Well, we'll go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 7. Now that the Gospel has been preached to the whole world, or is being preached to the whole world, God expects more from people. They are now accountable. Let me tell you, God is more upset about idolatrous nations today than He was back then. You know why? Because the Gospels reach these places. And nobody has an excuse. You know what? God at one time, He didn't just go punishing people and destroying people for being dumb enough to think that somebody, just because they healed somebody, is a God. You know what? He, he let these people survive. He didn't destroy them. But let me tell you, now that the Gospel has been preached to them, Paul's warning these people, you do not want to keep doing this. You do not want to keep practicing this. The truth has come to you and you are now accountable. And look what it says in Romans 7. Verse 7 says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin taking occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. What then, Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin that it might appear sin working death in me, by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Now, I don't have time to expound on this whole passage right here, and I, and I wish I did. But basically what he's showing right here is that the commandment is something that it, it, it kind of kills you. Once you have been shown the truth, you're now accountable for that truth. Sin is always sin. Whatever God believes is sin right now, it was always sin. But God did not always hold mankind accountable for those sins because the law had not been given yet. It says in Romans 5.13, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of that which was to come. So what everybody needs to understand about the law are even things that at one time people seem to get away with. For example, multiple, multiple wives. People get confused about that all the time. How can they get away with all these wives? How come it seems like those Old Test, you know, guys in the Old Testament, great men like David, great men like Solomon, why does it seem like those guys got away with so much stuff that we're not allowed to get away with today? You know why? Because there were certain laws and commandments that hadn't been given. It was always wrong. It was always wrong to have multiple wives, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. So God didn't hold people accountable because the law hadn't been given to them yet. So understand that in this Gentile world that Paul's preaching to, the law of God has never been given to these nations. So even though it was always wrong for them to be committing idolatry and things like that, 
God wasn't raining fire and brimstone in these places. God wasn't, you know, doing terrible things to these people, sending plagues and stuff because of these things. You can kind of say they got away with it and they were still surviving and even thriving as a society. But Paul is saying, you know what? Now, though, the gospel's come. Truth is here. And you know what? Y'all better repent. Because you know better now. And, you know, you might say, like Paul said in Romans 7, well, then the law is the problem. You know, I mean, is, you know, is the law a bad thing? But no, the law, it helps us see our need for a Savior. Because these people, too, even though they survived as a, as a people in idolatry, they all still went to hell when they died, didn't they? All of them still went to hell. So now, the Gospel's preached to them. Now their sin seems exceeding sinful. Now, they see their need for a Savior. They now can be saved. You know, and they can actually avoid hell. And if they don't, well, then you know, judgment's going to come. They're going to suffer as a people. And they just might go to hell a little bit earlier. But you know what? I'd rather get the chance to go to heaven. I, that, if that's me, if I'm in a society like that that's on its way to hell, I would rather somebody come and preach me the truth and give me a chance to go to heaven. Even if it means our society goes down a little sooner, hey, if I can go to heaven, you know what? That's worth it. So, uh, it's important to understand that. But I think that's what Paul is referring to when he mentions this here. And so, uh, same thing too. Little children. Little children in the church, they are sinful. Kelly is sinful. Okay? She's got to get taken out pretty much every service. But you know what? These little kids, if they were to die right now, they'd still go to heaven. You know why? Because they have not reached what we call the knowledge of accountability. They don't fully understand sin yet. They're acting on their instincts. They're acting in their nature. And, you know, we got to work on that as parents and try to straighten them out so they're not like a bunch of savages when they grow up. You know, they're not like these people we see in the cities all the time. I keep seeing these videos of just these riots and things. What happened? Those, those kids didn't get no spankings when they were growing up, that's for sure. You know, and we've got, we, so we've got to work on these things. But, you know, eventually they're going to hit an age where they understand and you know what? When that happens, they're now accountable. And if they die, they will go to hell. And everyone will eventually, they're going to they're gonna reach that knowledge of accountability. So verse 17 says, Nevertheless, He left not Himself without witness in that He did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. So He's, he's warning them Listen, you guys keep this up. God's going to come down hard on you. You can't do this. You can't do sacrifices to us. You can't worship us men as God. But you know what? Didn't stop them. Nope. Too bad. We're going to worship you. That's, that's just how they were. You healed somebody. You're worthy of worship. So the words that and actions of Paul and Barnabas, even though they rent their clothes, even though they preach the truth to these people, they were determined to do what they were determined to do. So verse 19 says, And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city supposing he had been dead. So it's like, fine. So the Jews, they come along and they're like, hey, you know what? Let me tell you about these guys. And so as soon as the news media showed up and told them, no, these guys aren't gods. They're bad people that you need to kill. Okay, let's go stone them. And that's how dumb Gentiles are. And let me tell you, all these savages that we see out there burning these places down, just destroying things, what got them mad? The news media. 
news media got them all fired up. That you know that that's why. And these people, there's their people are so fickle. They literally wanted to worship them, and then one news report, one one hour of Dateline, and they're like, oh, let's go kill him now. And folks, let me tell you, this is why a lot of pastors are so scared of getting on the news. Because they know their church members are so dumb that their church members are so lame, but they give money. You know, so they, they let they put up with their lameness. They put up with their patheticness, but they know if a news report ever came out against our church, half my church would leave. Yeah, because your church is still as dumb as these idol-worshiping Gentiles that want to worship you one minute and then one report from the Jews and all of a sudden they want to stone you. And folks, that's how it is in a lot of churches today. And you know what? If it ever gets that way in this church, I'm going to try to get a news report on me so I can, you guys can fire me and I can be done pastoring a church that pathetic. Because you know what? That is, that is, that's lame. And you know, it's pretty sad. And this happens all the time in churches where a church, a, a, a man could pastor a church for years. He can pastor a church for decades. People, they can know him. He knows them. He's been to their house. They've been to his house. They've been around him for years. And then all of a sudden, a Jew gets up and tells a story, plays a few clips out of context, a, you know, some, you know, an ugly picture of him on the screen looking angry with his words, you know, coming across there in a negative way. And all of a sudden they're like, my pastor's bad. I'm leaving the church. That shows you the power of these people. And let me tell you that the, the news media today is, it is it's full of garbage. You don't want to, you don't want to know why we have so many Fox News Baptists? I'll tell you why we have so many Fox News Baptists. Cause your typical Christian, that's the news that they watch. Fox News. And so you know what? The people in the church all think like Fox News. And then the hirelings in the church. So that's, oh, well, that's what the people want to hear. All right. Who are they going after on Fox News right now? That's who I'm allowed to say stuff about. And they will. They'll, they'll stand as, just as strong as the Republicans, as whatever Fox News, as long as Tucker Carlson, if, if Tucker Carlson's going after him, then they're free to go after him too. But you know, and, you know, and that kind of stuff, that's aggravating. But let me tell you, listen, these Fox News Baptists better watch it because you know what? Fox News is pretty supportive of the homos and if Fox News ever does a sermon, or not a sermon, if they ever do a news report against these guys for preaching against the homos or something, guess what? They're going to, church is going to, half their church is going to leave or throw them out. So they better watch out. It's going to backfire on them one of these days. That's why we just bash all the news organizations around here. That way they, <laughs> we've got to discredit them before they try to discredit me, right? But verse 20, or verse 19, or yeah, verse 20, I'm sorry. So it says, How be it? The disciples stood round about him. He rose up and came into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And some people, many people think that Paul might have actually died here with the stoning and that God resurrected him. You know, it's, it's kind of strange. They thought he was dead. And the Bible just says the disciples all stood around him. And he just stood up. It's kind of, kind of interesting. A lot of people think that this might have been when he, where he tells a story about how he was caught up into the third heaven that that might have happened then during this time. I don't know. The, the Bible doesn't tell us for sure. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's very possible. But so far, everywhere Paul has gone on this missionary journey, he's been run off. Every, every place so far. So verse 21, 
And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. That doesn't sound like he was preaching the pre-trib rapture to them right there, but uh, he was telling these people, hey, we're going to have to go through a lot of tribulation. And they were they went through tribulation. They got ran out of that town. But notice what it says. They, they were confirming the souls of the disciples. Okay, Now, what does that mean to do that? It says that when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Now, I preached a message a while back. It's on our YouTube channel when I was at Pastor Obi's church last year on this very subject. I'd encourage you to go listen to that one if you, if you haven't. But uh, basically, they went back through the cities that they had already been in, had already been ran out. They let things calm down. And then they went back to these places and they went to check to see what was going on. Because again, a lot of people got saved while they weren't able to finish the work that they needed to do and training everyone, preparing leaders and all that kind of stuff, thankfully, when they came back, there were still Christians that were wanting to follow the Lord, that were wanting to learn, that were not ashamed of Paul and Barnabas, that were, uh, that were assembling together. And I think this is important. You know, anytime, if there's a group of people and there's, there's people who are online that listen to us that are in places where they don't have churches around them that they can go to, I think it's always good for saved people to assemble together however they can. But I, all, I at the same time, I don't believe that that makes them necessarily a church. But I think they should do that. And then what I believe they should do is they should seek out leadership, someone to come and you know make sure things are in order in these churches and ordain leaders in these churches. And so when they were confirming the souls of the disciples, confirming it, you know, it's got a few different definitions, but it can mean to strengthen something, to establish something. You know, one thing that we often do when people, anytime somebody comes to this church and is interested in being a part of this church, if they claim that they're already saved, you know what I do? I go and I confirm their soul. What does that mean? you like, putting some kind of stamp of approval. No, I'm just checking to see if they're really saved. I, I want to find out what they profess. I want to find out what they believe. Why, why am I doing that? I want to make sure that they're a good fit for this church. If they're thinking that they're saved because they've been such a good Christian and they're going to go to heaven because you know, they've repented of all their sins and, have been, you know, and they're, just, they're going to be faithful to the end, well, you know, they're probably not going to fit in real well here. Because you don't get saved by your works. You don't stay saved by your works. Salvation, it's a, it's a free gift. And so if, that, if that's what they're thinking, you know, then, hey, we, we kind of have a problem here. Wait, you do understand salvation is a gift. You know, I'm going ch- to check. And that's been the case. There's been many people through the years that have come through here and expressed interest in joining our church because they liked our church. They liked the preaching. They liked the people. But then you go and you talk to these people and they are not saved. And that's happened several times. And in some cases, I haven't been able to get them saved. We had one lady come to the church one time and she was a deaconess in her last church. You know, and she, wanted, she was interested in joining this church. And, you know, I had to make sure she understood, hey, you know, you're not going to be able to be a deacon in this church. <laughs> she never came back. 
But, you know, you know what, what are you doing? You know, we're, we're, we're checking on people. And then the thing is, too, I've confirmed the souls of people here before who had gotten saved, but maybe they didn't know a whole lot, and they just wanted to, to make sure they had things right. You know, and I'll get their testimony, and I'll show them, yeah, this is biblical. Yeah, you did things right. This is, this is what the Bible says. And, uh, you know, if, if, you know, sometimes people, they get saved from, you know, hearing preaching on the internet. They haven't had a pastor that personally knows them, that's able to talk with them. And what are we doing? We're confirming, we're, we're, we're strengthening them. We want them to be strengthened in their assurance. And so that's what they did. They went back and they are, they're checking up with these people. They're finding out what they believe. They're strengthening them. They're establishing them. They're, they're making sure that they fully understand. Because again, you don't just automatically know everything as soon as you get saved. Just because you're saved doesn't mean you automatically under, you're, you're ready to prove eternal security from the Bible. You're not going to know how to do that. But you know what? Isn't it nice when you hear preaching on th- subjects like that and all of a sudden now, not only do you believe it, but you also know how to defend it. It makes you stronger in your belief. And it's going to be a lot harder to get people to draw you away from these truths because now... You've, not only do you know this in your heart, you can prove it with the Bible. So that's what they're doing when they're confirming the souls of these disciples. And then they're continue, exhorting them to continue in the faith. To continue in this practice and in this teaching. Not so you can stay saved, but because we want to do a work that's going to last. We want to do, we're, the, this missionary journey that they were on was not just to go get souls checked off and say, we got this many people saved. No, they wanted to start works that would last. They wanted to start works that would still be here 2,000 years later. You know, that's what he said. He which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. A lot of people use that about eternal security for the believer. But what he was specifically talking about there, if you look at the context of that is he was letting these people know that while they were under a lot of persecution, while there was a, while they were going through a difficult time, while the apostle Paul was even sitting in prison, he said, "Let me tell you, this work that God has started with these, with with all of you, it's going to keep going until the day of Jesus Christ." And guess what? We're still here today because of the work that was done by the apostle Paul. Paul was absolutely right about that. You know what? That that verse is more along the line of the teaching that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And so, uh, there will always be the work of Jesus Christ. It will go on until He comes back. And we are a part of that work. But you know what? That doesn't mean the work of Liberty Baptist Church will go on until Jesus comes back. We could fall out. We could fail. We could apostatize. We could mess up as a church. And this church could just be another lame, pathetic, dead social club. That, that could happen with this church if we're not careful. So, Paul... He want, that's why he wanted to strengthen these people. He wanted to confirm them. And then after they did that, they ordained elders in every church. And then they commended them to the Lord. You know what they did? Once they got everything set up and established, they're like, you know what? You're the Lord's now. We're from the church in Antioch, but you all, you're the church in Iconium now. You're the church in Lystra right now. And you are your own church. You guys have got your right doctrine. Hang on to this doctrine that we gave you. Do not change it. Do not move from it. You keep on preaching it. And you know what? Just understand, you've got to keep this going until the kingdom of God comes. And in the meantime, you're going to have to endure some tribulation. You're going to have to go through some, you're, you're going to have to go through some tribulation. But they became independent churches at this time. 
It says in verse 24, And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia, and then sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how He had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode long time with the disciples. You know what they did? They went back and they reported their church what they got done on the journey. And you know what? That's, good. That's what missionaries should do. You know, they should come back and report to their church. It's like, hey, this is what we got done. And you know what they need to do? They need to stop going over there and just existing. They need to get work started that will continue and that will last on their own. And there's not a whole lot of that getting done today. Some places and some, some missionaries are getting it done. Some guys are just going and just passing out tracts in cities, and that's pretty much all they're doing. No, we need to start works that will continue and that will, that will be independent and that will actually last. And that's what they got done back then. That's what they were trying to do. They were not just going out and getting people saved. They were getting churches established because they, they wanted those work to continue. We want to multiply. Okay? We want to multiply, and we do that by training disciples. And so this would conclude what is known as Paul's first missionary journey. And so far, just a side note to end this, none of Paul's epistles have been written yet. Just keep that in mind when it comes to understanding what all was going on. Paul has not written any of his epistles yet. And probably the only book of the New Testament that's even been written is maybe the book of James. If it was James, the brother of John, that wrote it. And so some things we can learn from this chapter is that getting people saved is easy. But starting a church is hard. It's hard, it's hard work. And while starting a church is hard work, it is the most important work that there is because establishing a church is what causes multiplication instead of just addition. You know, it, it, it is how to build a work that will last and will go on for years to come. That's what we're trying to get done. That's what we want to accomplish. And so, uh, yeah. Getting people saved is easy, and we don't ever want to stop. We don't ever want to stop doing that. But we all also need to be thinking about the big picture. Let's have something that's strong with good doctrine that's going to stand the test of time. Because we need churches like this until Jesus comes back, and it's not just going to happen by itself. It's going to happen because God's people are being obedient to all of the Great Commission, and that's what we need to do. So, with that, let's pray, dear Lord. I pray this message was helped everyone. I pray you'll help us to. Uh, do our part, Lord, not just to win souls, but also to train disciples. And I pray that you'll help us to uh, continue to do a work here and that we'll build something that will last, Lord, until your return. I pray that this church and uh, ministries out of this church will, and many ministries will be out of this church uh, before your return and operating when you come, that you'll find us faithful. I pray you'll help us to just make a real difference in this community. In your name we pray. Amen.